Hello, I am your host, Kimberly Ann, and welcome to episode 31 of An Unknown Adventure. Warning, this week's episode, including my check-in, is not rainbows and cuddly kittens. It is real, it's raw, and it's painful. And I also cuss a bit. So here you go, the real me. I have been sick in bed for a week, and it's brought up a lot of pain and discomfort, not only physically, but emotionally as well. It relates back to my abusive childhood where I wasn't allowed to be sick as it inconvenienced my parents. When I was sick, they abandoned me, locking me in my room with little to no food for weeks at a time. This past week has been rough, no lie. My normal optimistic nature deserted me. I reached out asking for help from my three-person support group and I am so grateful that one person was available. But the other two and several other people that I also reached out to completely ignored me. Now, I'm used to being the person who's there for everyone's pain and suffering. I'm the one that acquaintances and friends always turn to. And I'm always there. And not having that reciprocated is really fucking painful. And I don't like it and it hurts too much. Normally, what that means for me is that I retreat even more isolating, and I reach out even less. And I don't know what it's going to look like this time. But I know that during this part of my life, what's happened is that I've had very little or I felt very little connection to others, no matter how hard I try. I've had zero intimacy. And I don't feel seen or understood I know it'll pass, but I also can't minimize or ignore it. Yesterday, on top of the illness and abandonment, I hurt my shoulder by doing absolutely fucking nothing. And now I can't lift my arm at all. I looked up some ways to self-diagnose online. You know, is it the infraspinatus? Is it teres minor? You know, which sits muscle is it? And I know a lot about the shoulder. And I have a lot of ways to diagnose, but I thought, let's look up some clean and easy way to do it. And I found some clean and easy ways to do it, but they all said, have your partner lift your arm for this or that test. And it just made me want to scream. What about the people who don't have a fucking partner? The entire world is not paired off like some fairy tale fantasy. Some people choose to be single, and yet we're seen as pariahs. I wrote a Medium article about that subject recently that I will link here. I just thought it was really interesting that that came up again today. I mean, it comes up pretty regularly, but, you know, I'm really down right now. And like this again, (laughs) you know? Uh, So I also sold my couch last week, which was a huge deal. I made a YouTube video about it that I'll link in the show notes. I had a minor meltdown and I recorded it because that's part of life too. The good, the bad, the messy. And now I have absolutely nowhere to sit. (laughs) So that's fun. (laughs) Moving on, I want to introduce this week's guest, Atlasphere, who is a real talker. And by that, I don't mean that they are a talker, meaning they talk a lot. I mean that they talk about real shit. So get ready for vulnerability, for truth, and for a few thunderclouds. I love their perspective on things, and I love their willingness to dig into the uncomfortable aspects of life. So you will find no toxic positivity here. But I think you're going to love it anyway. And I think that there's a huge, oh, I don't want to say a huge void. I think that there is a void for the real hardships in life. And I know I have been guilty of this myself. I often live in real positivity, like actual positivity, like I'm a really positive person 80% of the time. 
and I tend to gloss over pain and suffering. And it's not because I don't experience it, obviously, as you've just heard, but it's because I, when, I, when I'm not experiencing it, I have a hard time talking about it. But it's real for so many people, and it's real daily, and it's real often. So I don't want to gloss over it when I'm in it. And that is the perfect opening to an episode that doesn't gloss over it. And I hope you will find some deep meaning in this upcoming episode. Thanks for being here. I appreciate your time and your support. And I would love it if you could give this show five stars or a review so that other people can find it. And I would love it if you could subscribe to my new YouTube channel, but you don't have to. I just hope that I am giving back to the community in some way because that's my goal. That's my happy place. And I did say at the beginning of this check-in that I'm tired of giving and not receiving, but this type of giving is different. I am tired of one-on-one giving and not receiving, but global, not that this is global, but it could be giving and just giving is, I don't know, it's one of my missions. It makes me feel really good. So if I can help one person, my job is done and I'm complete. I'm here today with Atlas Spear, whose pronouns are they and them. And they are one of my closest friends. I'm really excited to interview them. Atlas Sphere is an SF native, a polymath, an artist, a maker, a career hairdresser. They culturally identify as Gen X, punk, genderqueer, and non-binary. They are a curious dot connector, a futurist, an ecologist, an ocean advocate, a fish and cheesemonger, I'm going to read them all, an alchemist, an art witch, a writer, a tree whisperer, psychic, and a cross-platform technologist, which means they use both Android and iPhone. I had to ask because I didn't know what that meant. And a 12-step fellowship member. So welcome, Atlasphere, to an unknown adventure. Hello, Kimberly. Kimberly <laughs> <laughs> read them all. I had to read them all. You're Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. I am. Boing. Boing on your tail. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've said that before. Yeah, it does feel familiar. So do you want to start with the unconventional travel or do you want to start with the minimalism? Dealer choice. Okay. I want to start with unconventional travel because I'm a travel fanatic right now. I would say I follow my curiosity. I pick a place and I go there by myself and I look around and I just soak up what's there. And I have a lot of anxiety before I leave, leaving the routine and leaving the bubble. I get very wound up and yet I know it's the best thing for me to leave. Like the most recent thing I did was last year when the fires were burning in California and the sky was orange. Yeah. And I couldn't breathe. And I also suffer from asthma and I have chronic Lyme. So I had been thinking about going to Joshua Tree for a couple of years. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to book it in January and just for- book it and forget it. So it was like four months out, book it and forget it. I thought, I don't know where we're going to be in the pandemic. I don't know what's coming up next. And in the meantime, I was selling a house. So I was going through all these changes. Yeah. And I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know anything. It was totally a big question mark. So as January rolled around, like a week before I thought, is anything going to be open? Can I even travel? Can I drive to Southern California? How the hell am I going to go somewhere out of the bubble? Like all these questions. And I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. I thought, what am I doing? This is crazy. And I just kept moving the peg forward. And the day came and I actually broke up the travel. Originally, I was going to drive the whole thing in one run. And I decided to stop in the middle in San Luis Obispo. And the stay there was like so uncomfortable. People weren't wearing masks. It was a weird basement apartment. It smelled like chemicals and cleaners. And I was like, what am I doing? So by the time I got to Joshua, I was a wreck. I was exhausted. I was stressed out. I thought, what have I done? I've done two days to get to this place. I'm alone. I don't know anybody here. What am I doing? And 
The next day I called everybody I knew and just spent the whole day on the phone, reaching out to friends, like wearing my heart on my sleeve. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to give myself a couple more days to just be here. And by then I was like, I love it here. I want to buy a house here. (laughs) I was like, I found the farmer's market. I found the desert. I got to walk and lay in the sand and look at the beautiful rocks and the quiet, the clean air. It was like all the things that I knew it would be. Mm-hmm. I just had to go through this, like shedding my skin to get there. And it was really painful and it was really scratchy and itchy and uncomfortable. And it was funny on highway 62, they call it 29 Palms highway. There was a, it's like the Mojave desert um, land trust. And it says, it looks like it says molt M O L T like, like a bird molting its feathers. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like I was molting my feathers. And every time I drove by, I was like, Oh Yeah. So long story short, I, I, I feel like I, I muster up this courage to go places and it's always rewarding. And I always make a connection that I didn't expect. Somebody shared a friend of theirs that lived there and we texted the whole time. We never met. Wow. He's, he's, an, he's a local there. He's a well-established artist. And I was like, hey, where should I go get pizza? Hey, where should I go? What do you recommend for that? Or there was actually a fire while I was there. And I was like, hey, did you see the fire? Do you know what's going on? So I had this like anchor, but I didn't, it didn't have a face. Mm-hmm. I made a connection somehow. And then probably the most audacious travel thing I did was in, I was in grad school in the early aughts. No, in 2010 to 2012. Mm-hmm. And I became very interested in ocean issues, ocean policy, ocean advocacy. And The Economist magazine was hosting an annual, It was they called it the World Ocean Summit. Mm. And it was a one-time thing that they did. And they had leaders from all over the world. They had just like the prime minister of Finland or, or anyway, Sylvia Earle, who's like the, they call her deepness because she's like the ocean icon. She was there, really interesting people from all over the world. And I had this project that I was working on and I just talked to everybody I could talk to. And it was crazy to fly to Singapore, stay in wow. the Airbnb, walk around, check out all the hawker marts. And what's so cool about traveling alone is you just, you can just follow your nose and yeah. follow your, you know, like, oh, I feel like riding a train today. Or, oh, I feel like checking out markets. Oh, I really want this local food thing. And I had been following this other blogger through Instagram and she and I met up and she showed me this whole neighborhood. We had lunch. It was just so cool. Instagram has been a surprising thing that I like love and hate because Mm -hmm. I've met people who are in the fiber world. I'm a fiber artist, knitter, and I've gone at last, I think it was 2018, I went to Maine on a fiber track to like way north Maine. So I flew to Maine, stayed in Bangor by myself for three days, went to the local yarn store, chatted with the owners, met a couple people there found connections, found food ideas, found the farmer's market, always find the farmer's market. I think that's the number one. Yeah. And then took the seaplane up to this, I think it's the top of the Appalachian Trail. What's the name of the mountain up there? The lake is so remote and the camp that's around, it's like a fishing camp that people go to in the summer, but in the winter, they actually cut the blocks of ice out of the lake and put them in an ice house. And that's the refrigeration for the whole year. It's really, it's a really cool place. And they do a lot of fly fishing. So it was a neat place to be with a bunch of lady knitters and making, sewing, knitting and friends for life that I made there. Yeah. So all the adventures that I've had that I've gone by myself have been really fun and out of necessity. I know that they expand me and grow me and connect me. And in the last eight years, I've been looking for another place to live. So I've gone to places like Asheville, North Carolina, which was, love that place. Super fun, walking around. And now when I look on Zillow, I know what neighborhoods I've been in. Would you live there? I've thought about it. Yeah, definitely. I was very, I actually met a realtor while I was there and looked at a bunch of properties. and Because that's one of the places on my list too. Yeah. And that's what started my entire adventure was because I was like, that was the only place that I found that I could move to and live on my, on the money that I earn right now from my books and investments without working. Mm -hmm. It was the only place in the entire U S that was a city. And then I was like, I can't just 
go there because of COVID and check it out. And so that was my impetus for van life, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I think in a way, I don't profess to be an expert on COVID traveling. I think there's going to be like a level, a volume that's like the normal volume for any place. I think connecting to that quieter part of a place is probably the opportunity that COVID provides Mm -hmm. to just see the light, see the, the weather, see how things like move through that. Like Asheville has that amazing location. It's like up in the mountains. It's got the blue mountain, the smoky mountains and the views are just stunning. It's got a wonderful walkability. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of, I went to Boulder mm-hmm. and um, in 83, Boulder. 83 to 87. And it really reminded me of then it felt like mm-hmm. it there was still possibility. Like in the Bay area, there's no possibility. Like you couldn't just find an old warehouse and get a bunch of friends and have an art thing there. There's just more. Everything's done. Yeah. Like in the eighties already happened. Right. Asheville still felt like that, but now that's three years ago. So I yeah. think a lot of tech people have occupied some of these more quiet places. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think know. the one thing that kind of scared me was that it's a big microbrew beer culture and being yeah. in recovery, I was a little bit concerned, but there are people in recovery all over the world that we can connect with. I think microbrewing is, that's like the scourge of everywhere. I think that's like the first thing that <laughs> that the occupiers think of. It's, uh, can we do a microbrewery here? And we both lived in Fairfax. Can you think of another thing besides a microbrewery? Right. I always thought it would be great to have an oxygen bar mm-hmm. and cheese shop. So cheese shop during the day and oxygen chill bar at night. I love that. Just love like that. super low key, quiet. Yeah, but the tea house in Fairfax, that's a special place. It's a little too woo for me. I'm not up for laying on the floor and drinking matcha so much. Yeah, I, just, I always sit at the bar. Yeah, just yeah. doesn't quite work for me. I ever. like every time I go there, and I don't go there now because of COVID, but every time I've gone there in the past, I go alone and I always meet the most interesting people. I'm still uh-huh. friends with somebody I met there. Okay, well, there you go. But may I talk to everybody? I talk to the wall. That's yeah. just who I am. The wall is my new best friend. Like I will talk to anybody. It doesn't matter. I think also I being the dog owner, you can relate is if the dogs, if there's a way that I can have the dogs sit outside comfortably or in the back, I don't expect that they would go into a cafe, of course, health concerns, but it's a busy street and I wouldn't want to tie them up in front just so I could lay on the floor and drink matcha. So (laughs) (laughs) you you crack me up or or bone broth right now. I'm yeah, right now. I'm or not. Chaga. Yeah. Have a chaga. You be my lion's mane, man. Yeah, they're so funny. Or, or hot chocolate. I really like the hot chocolate. There's a lot of goddess woo-woo kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Bro and beer thing with the bikes. <laughs> or it's the chaga goddess situation. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, and that's part of why I left is because there's no queer uh, representation in, in Fairfax. That's true. I actually advocated quite a bit through the Chamber of Commerce, through the town council for events that were pride positive. And even events that are billed as family friendly mm-hmm. are saying heteros. Yep. It's pretty clear language when you are an outsider. They think it's inclusive and it's not. It's not. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is not. So I remember hearing about some kind of movement, but it was in Woodacre. Yeah. 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 So I also wanted to touch on, and we don't have to get into this right now, but the reason that I asked you on this podcast in the first place is because when we were talking, uh, now it was probably a month ago when I was at your house and we were talking about the podcast and you said, are you asking people about their challenges? And are you mm-hmm. asking people about their failures? Mm-hmm. Because people don't talk about that enough. And since then, I've been incorporating that question. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I want to hear what you have to say about that. What do I have to say about that? I have listened to zillions of podcasts and read. And I think what I hear the most of is people's stories of once they've reached their destination, they wrote the book and now they're asked to lecture or there's some there's like a, a destination that they arrived at and they've gone through the hero's journey. And I don't often hear stories from people who are in the muck, right? Mm-hmm. Or trying to figure things out. And I guess this kind of connects to the dream thing. A dream feels like a destination. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what that destination is because I've found myself in between things so many times. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was thinking about this last night. I feel like this, I'm in this after time, like after marriage, after career, after youth, after some of my peers, after children. And we're in this, the afterlife. And why do we call death the afterlife? Because I, the word retirement for our age group just doesn't feel good to me. It feels like giving up and selling out. And I think that's Gen X thing. So I'm in this in-between place of, you know, I had this career for 40 years of hairdressing and I had no mentors. I had no guides. I didn't have support from my family. I just kept doing it because I couldn't help myself and I didn't know any better. And I didn't know how to ask for help. And I didn't know what was possible. And I probably could have become a creative director for a color company mm-hmm. or, and I look at people who are doing that now and I'm like, I should be doing that job. If I could work for Redken or Wella or Manic Panic. And I was using all these products way back before mm-hmm. they had any kind of vocabulary around what their possibilities were. And I just got mocked. I just got like the whispers behind my back of what a weirdo. Why are you doing that? That's strange. Who would do that to their hair? And, you know, my parents were, maybe you'll find a real career. Like being a tradesperson wasn't considered a legitimate career. And I had a college degree and I decided to go to trade school and get a cosmetology certificate. That's this weird in-between of just like following the next thing and not really having, I didn't become a hairdresser to become a great stage performing artist. I saw stage performing artists. I met Yosh. I met Vivian McKinder and Trevor Sorby and went to their events and Horst and went to Aveda. Like I went to all the meccas and I just kept thinking, I want somebody to find me and discover me and and take me under their wing. But I didn't have the vocabulary, the skills or the abilities or the support or the encouragement to make those connections. Uh And so I just kept my head down plotting, just doing clients shampooing bazillions of heads, cutting bazillions of hairs, and also having an addict constitution and a dysfunctional childhood. It's a very toxic environment. Hairdressers are very wild. It's the wild west of of craziness. And I didn't have good self-esteem around earning. Uh I was a chronic under earner. I was giving away a lot of what I did for free. So I don't know. I think that's that I just lived in this in-between state until my body finally gave out. And actually I had a, a very traumatic experience like 22 years ago where the owner of the shop that I was in was murdered. And that really undid me and undid my career. And I just limped back along from it for years and years and just never really got back what I had started to build. You get to these plateaus and then you kind of cruise along and then you can build more and then you kind of cruise along. And I just, every time I'd get somewhere I'd get knocked back to square one. So that is this constant failure. It's like a 40 year career of, and it took COVID ripping, literally ripping that industry out of my hands for me to see what my toxic relationship to it was and is Yeah, and really evaluate. I know that I can't stand behind a chair anymore. I'm just too old for it. I know I can't recover the clients that I had gotten built up in that five-year period. And I've always been an artist. I've always made things and I'm just giving myself permission to see where that leads me. And that's that in-between place. And it's about looking back at things that I've made and things that I can make Mm -hmm. and seeing if those are things that people want. Mm -hmm. And then also looking at what does it mean to be somebody who makes things and is supported by selling those things? Mm -hmm. Because it's back to that, your worth and your value and selling things and the Gen X sort of motto was selling out. Like you didn't sell out, right? There was like a big, strong ethic about selling out. And now everybody's hustling. Everybody's selling everything. It's, and it's really interesting to, to not think about, am I making that to sell it? Or am I making that because I can't help but make it? Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. So I'm definitely in that. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I let go of this 20 year toxic relationship with my home. It had beautiful moments. It had wonderful moments. There was a lot of family stuff there. However, I also, my dysfunctional family and childhood really helped. Well, and this will connect to the minimalism thing. It's because there was no family at home. I like built my attachments to the stuff in the home. I was telling you about this. Yeah. 
the rug, the the couch, the the pitcher, the like the the silverware. It's like those things had that visceral connection to childhood mm-hmm. and that sense of belonging that I didn't get from the relationships of childhood. And so once I started to heal my sort of traumatic childhood issues, I was able to let go of the stuff. And that was a big component. And I'd always been purging, just thinking, oh, I want to just have less stuff. And I just prefer a space that's less cluttered. Mm-hmm. And yet I like interesting things to look at and they're delightful. So it's finding the things that are delightful in your space and not just there because they fill up space. So when I sold my house, I pretty much gave away like 70% of my stuff. And I thought that I had done a pretty good job purging until you start emptying a shed, (laughs) until you start emptying a closet, you're like, wow. And in the three weeks before I moved into the apartment that I'm in, while the house was on the market, I just basically had a car full of stuff and I was in an Airbnb and it was like the dogs, some coffee, (laughs) my vitamins, journal, sketchbook. And I was like, I'm okay with this. And then this place that I'm living now, it's furnished. This isn't my couch or my kitchen Mm -hmm. and it's okay. I'm okay. When I went to Joshua Tree, it was just a car full of stuff. I was okay. Realizing that you're okay is, it's very freeing. There's a lot of liberation and freedom that comes from that. And yeah, I've seen people go through their attachment to things and you just can't get somebody there until they're ready. Just know my mom struggled with attachment to stuff. I remember one time I was helping her clean stuff out and I opened up this drawer and there are all these pens in there and she would chew on these pens and they were all like chewed on the end. Wow. And so there was like, it was like a graveyard of chewed pens. And I called her in and I said, so are you done with these yet? (laughs) And she looked at them and she laughed. She was like, oh my God, you're so right. But I don't know if she ever stopped chewing on pens. Or if she gave those pens away. I dumped those pens left that day. But the things that we just do over and over again that we can't even see that we're doing. Oh, totally. So interesting. Oh, totally. And I, when I look back at your house, because I spent a lot of time at your house mm-hmm. and for me, because it wasn't my house, it was magic. It was the magic house and it was the happy, it was such a happy place for me. And I have so many happy memories because of the way that you kept your house, mm-hmm. it never felt cluttered. It never felt like you had too much. So everything was just so perfect. Like, and and your yard. And when you had the chickens, I loved your chickens. And it was just, to me, especially in like years ago, this was like, no, I've known you for 12 years. So yeah, it was 12 years ago. And I was just felt like I was not grounded. I didn't know what I was doing or whatever. And it just, it felt like you were so grounded to me. Thank you. And it felt like if I was a grown up, even though I was a grown up, cause we're the same age, but I felt like if I was going to be a grown up, this is the kind of grown up I would want to be. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting welcome. though. I, I think now that I understand more of my addict behavior and my character defects, one of them is it's the defect of pride and making things look good, even though they aren't. And that was certainly my family's home. It looked good, but everything was not okay. So that's, it's a mask. It's a mask. Yeah. And yes, there was a certain amount of, that was definitely part of my idea for that house was like that it would serve others, that it would be like I had people who were in transition that would stay with me and that were going coming out of SLEs or my friend who was having a surgery, my friend who had, you know, lost her home. So I wanted it to be a refuge and I certainly wanted it to be a healing place. And I love feeding people and, and taking oh, yeah. care of them and nurturing them. And that's very, my cancerian ways. Mm-hmm. And part of that, like the presentation was like enacting that familial front of making it look good so that you don't really show like how chaotic and tumultuous, tumultuous, I think think is the under the iceberg, the sadness and the ache and the loneliness and the fear and the anxiety and the self-criticism and the lack of esteem and blah, blah, blah. So, Mm -hmm. and the things that, that people have, but they don't talk about and you're talking about it. Yeah. And that is huge. And yeah. I have to say, you are an amazing cook. 
<laughs> and every time I came over and the last time with all of your friends. Oh yeah, that was fun. That and and just all the food and oh, it's just maybe you're an Enneagram too, which is the helper. I don't know. I'll, uh, do you know? Four, actually. Oh, you're a four. Oh, you're creative. That makes sense. Individualist. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's the other thing is you had a room that was your art room, but you also had an art studio. No, and- that was just a shed. Oh, you mean my studio outside at the yeah. factory? Yes. Yeah. And Until you became a Pilates studio. Oh, I know that place was so cool. But you have always, I've always seen you as an artist. And even the little gifts that you gave us that day with the the little sweaters, and I still have it hanging in the kitchen. And you might look at it and be like, oh, that's just a little thing. And I'm like, you could sell these. That in itself is so cool. I've never seen anything like that. And you're just, you're really creative. And when I I remember when I was looking, it was probably your Instagram, and I saw all the stuff you used to do with hair. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you did that? I didn't know that was you. I had no idea. That is really creative. Yeah. That particular project is one person. And since I think 93, we started it. So it's 27, 28 years now. We painted on his head. And when I started, I had no idea what I was doing. And I just repetition. There's over 200 unique designs. Wow. And we have most, I'd say we've got 90% documentation and he's super busy. We finally agreed to make a book. I was just going to say, you have to make a book. I was we just finally agreed to make a book. Okay. Like before COVID, we were starting the ball rolling and then COVID happened. And I just, I haven't been able to get him on the phone. <laughs> I was like, this is the perfect time to make a book. And he's yeah. like doing his, his work. And uh, I don't even know his hair must be down to his knees by now because <laughs> I haven't cut it. And his, his girlfriend said he hasn't done anything. So I don't know. But yeah, that's. And if you look all over Instagram, that's a trend now is to paint heads. Oh, it is? Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. There was like a New York Times cover of something. And I was just like, it, it's painful when you're yeah. the vanguard and you don't get seen or yep. recognized. And I worked in a lot of salons where there was like a lot of very conservative people who were just like, why are you painting a cartoon on the back of that guy's head? Or people would come up and, why are you doing that? Right. Like, right. And I was just like, please leave us alone. If you want to like give us money or right. respect or platform to do this on or mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And now so cool when I was talking to you about, oh, I'm doing the ceramics and you were like, look. And just to see, and it, so it's like, I've known you for so long. And then there's always like another layer of something creative that you've done that I had no idea about. And it's maybe you look at it as you haven't felt confident enough, but I look at it as you have the, this, you are super flipping creative, but yeah. you're not advertising it. And that's okay too. Yeah but you're still pursuing it now. And now you have a new studio and now you're taking ceramics again and you're working with your element and new elements. And mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what you make. And just, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I think you're just phenomenally creative. I really do. Thank you. I guess maybe one of the things that's, it seems like the people who sell work are doing one thing. Yep. You know, yep. whether it's production ceramics or like lithography or like, lettering and I like to do everything yes so like I was actually put up some pictures of some old lettering things that I did and somebody was like oh my god that poster is amazing will you make a poster for my event I just if I had a portfolio and I did try to put a portfolio online it's just like how do you even show all these different things that you can do and then people just they look at it and they're confused because they think what do you do I do everything I can knit you a sweater or I can make you a ceramic mugs, or I could make you a unique sculpture, or I could paint you something or do lettering or you name it. Like mosaic tiling. Yeah. The public art thing. I didn't even realize like until 20 years had gone by that we'd been doing public mosaics for 20 years. What? (laughs) Yeah. And you didn't, I didn't even know until you showed me, I was like, what? But if you have a website and you have like little squares, like Squarespace does or whatever, and you have lettering, knitting, and you have, and then they click on each one and then it takes them to that page with all of that work. Yeah. You want to build that for me? (laughs) 
No. <laughs> I know. But I could help you. If you go to atlasphere.com, I just got so tired of doing it and paying yeah. for hosting. And I was married to a web developer and he did put up eventually a really good site, but it was so old school. It just didn't really yeah. flex itself to like how things are now. I think Instagram is really where it's at. Unfortunately, it's Facebook, but right. it still is. I, I just, I'm really excited the way the people that I know that are makers just do direct offerings. Right. Got this stuff coming up. The shop's open this week when it's gone until the next thing. And I've been buying things from people on Instagram and you can have the little things. I forget what they're called at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can have one little circle. That's your lithography and one that's your ceramics. Oh, the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But after the stories and you put them at the top, I don't know what the hell they're called, but yeah, maybe post stories. But that's putting the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart in terms of thinking that I'm going to be selling things. I don't know what my career path is. What is the next chapter? If I fret about that, then I can't be where I am now, which is in between. I'm in this zoo. Somebody described it, this, the trouble with Bartleby on Instagram, there's the caterpillar and there's the butterfly. And then there's the, the thing in between the butterfly and the caterpillar have no idea what the other are. And yet it's got both inside of it. Mm-hmm. There's these little, wrote it down somewhere. It's like data about what to do. And yet it just goes into this goo state, mm-hmm. like totally liquid. And then reforms. And I think we're in this goo state. Yeah. There's such an opportunity to really change the way we show up for each other, the way we participate in culture and society, the economy. Every shadow has been revealed about our leaders, about organizations, about the way we treat the earth, and really having to reconcile that. And I think it's the responsibility of our species to really do our part and or die, get wiped off. Yeah, we could become another carbon layer just like the dinosaurs, which is very likely with it is climate is very close to not supporting us as a species. Yeah. And we did this to ourselves. Completely. Hundred percent. Yeah. I used to worry about the earth all the time until I realized the earth can take care of herself. <laughs> oh yeah, she'll be fine without us. For sure. Which actually, you know, certainly with the the fires in California last year oh. and COVID, I just felt like it was so apocalyptic. I thought if you're not living the thing that just can't, you can't quiet in yourself that you want to do, make art or let go of something or change something. And I think everybody really had a reconciling moment of like career change, family change, relationship change. All of the above. Anything was like a warning. Will Robinson was that moment. And that's good. And I hope that we can hold together through this and shift and maybe stay on this planet for another decade. Yeah. Yeah. At least hopefully. And I think it, it also showed us what was important. Exactly. Which is our connection with one another, especially COVID. So we couldn't connect face to face. And a lot of people didn't make it through. Mm-hmm. because of, of course, a lot of people died from COVID, but a lot of people died from like suicide and directly related to not being able to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that, you know, when we went to that art show in Crockett, yeah. it was just early pandemic. And that was right even, before. Yeah. We, we were, were we wearing masks yet? I think we were wearing masks. We, were I don't cleaning the house. We, were. we had your wipes. We went to that restaurant. Oh, yeah. I think you and I were both harbingers in our respective workspaces. Cause I had been saying to my workspace, I was like, this is a big deal. Yep. We need to start doing this. Yep. And they were looking at me like maybe, and I'm like, okay. And then the next week they were the next level of, okay, down. maybe we can stop this from happening. And I was like, <laughs> and you and I were like talking about it in January. Yeah. We were like sending each yeah. other articles and Yep. Did you hear about this? And what about these numbers? And what do you think of that? And what's going to be? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember if we were wearing masks, but I had the alcohol thing in the. Yep. And you're like, that smells really good. <laughs> yeah. And you gave me a little baggie of gloves. And I, that bag is still in my car. Those beautiful purple gloves. Oh, it's so funny. And yeah. are you vaccinated? I am. You are. And, yeah. Had- you went through hell. I, I had the Johnson. I'm still a little. It was. Uh, you know, headache, but I also feel better because I think I did have COVID in March last year. Yeah. Are better. 
Yeah. And do you feel better having been vaccinated? Because I feel a thousand times just like psychologically better. Yes. I do feel psychologically better. I feel hopeful. Yeah. I also feel like we don't know. We really don't know. We're so dumb. We think that this is the solution. And yet there's, there's more surprises around the corner. We have no idea about yeah. And my, I'm a nihilistic optimist. So I'm like, it could have been Ebola and it still could be. And like, where are we going to hide from that? Yeah. Oh, Ebola and, would be know. a disaster. Oh, what's the survival rate? Like yeah. minimal. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's taught us a lot and I try to focus on the positive. I really do. But it's, it's scary and change is scary and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But I am so proud of you and what you've gone through. And because I remember you've been talking about wanting to sell the house for a long time. And you've been Mm -hmm. talking about wanting to move. And you've been talking about not knowing what your next step is, but knowing that you needed to take one. Yeah. And then it was so funny from the moment of you saying, yeah, I'm going to put the house on the market. And then you not being in the house anymore. And I remember you texted and you were like, yeah, if you want anything, just stop by and it's in the front yard and Susan and I stopped by and we were like, what's going on? (laughs) And you were gone. I profoundly believe in the power of a decision. If you aren't ready to make a decision, you can drag that shit on forever. The minute you make that decision, things move so quickly. Like all the things I thought, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do about that? How am I going to move everything? How am I going to box everything? Like, how am I going to lift everything? Where am I going to go? Like when you ask those questions and you're not decided, yeah, you just go in circles. Yeah. The minute you make the decision, the universe conspires with you. And it, it was 10 weeks from decision to done. Wow. It was It was like a train moving so fast. If I got off, I would have broken everything. The day that I was boxing everything up was the day the sky was orange. And I had people inside my house. We had masks on. The sky is orange. I'm thinking, what the hell are we doing? And yet they showed up. They helped me box. The pods were there. We loaded the pods. It was just bananas. It's just, wow. I could never have planned that. And yet it happened. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Just like you with your van, you decided, you made a decision, you made it happen. It's happening. You're like moving forward. Yeah, it's happening, but still you can see behind me that I have not packed up. I have four months left. Yeah. And when when that moment comes, you, it will happen. Like, I know I'm scared. (laughs) I know I'll be fine. And, And I've been giving stuff away. Like you said you were, and still I look around and I'm like, this is overwhelming. How did I end up with so much shit? This is a lot of shit. And I was, I did a Yoda. I love baby Yoda. I did a yoga class at Chrissy Fields today. And at the end of the yoga class, the guy said, and now let's bring our attention to the earth because we were laying down and, and really feel that the earth provides everything that we need, mm-hmm. but it's hard for us to remember that. And I was like, so profound. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's so weird. We don't need all this shit. Like how many hangers? Like I have, you can't see because I'm not going to turn this because it'll screw up the recording. But Susan was like, I don't have enough hangers. And I'm like, okay, I have 50. Why do I have 50 hangers? And that's just one of a million things that I have. So yeah. Yeah, I think about like trees, like a redwood tree. It just, it has everything it needs right there. And all of its little leaves fall underneath it and provide this nice little mulch. Like you think about animals, they just, they don't have houses or boxes or hangers. They're fine. And we've just, as humans, we've created this complex narrative that's this agreed upon fiction about stuff and the American dream and this binary orientation and all this stuff. And it's really just this big myth that these powerful people have put into place to preserve their wealth. Yep smash and grab everything and we're just like even time watches like all that stuff it's agreed upon fiction and yeah just have bought into it and this big waking up is happening and we do have everything we need it'd be pretty weird if everybody just walked out of their houses and out into the woods and just started living and there are people that are doing that for sure yeah i don't think we have that natural skill to really do it well yeah (laughs) And there's all these land boundaries and there's too much system in place that wouldn't make that as easy a transition. It's just to write beautiful, futuristic fiction about that instead (laughs) and live in the pages and in our imaginations where we don't have those constraints. Totally. 
Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And we have vampires and werewolves because that's what I like to write about. I don't know. So if you could tell your 12 year old self something now, what would it be? I guess everything is going to be okay. I think I, whenever I hear that, I feel comfort and I have told that to people and I just, I call it egg bock. Everything's going to be okay. Mm, I love it. And I think knowing that everything is going to be okay would have been helpful because that was a really hard time being that age. And I wish I could go back and see that kid, see that weirdo kid and be that kid's like friend or mentor or support system or stand up for that kid with my parents the way they were. But I guess if just, if it's just about one, one thing to say, it's put my hand on her shoulder and say, everything's going to be okay. You're okay. Like you're enough. I think when Brene Brown, that her power of vulnerability, Ted, mm-hmm. one thing where it says, I am enough on the chest. And I did that. I wrote that on my chest. And I, I like, I've watched that hundreds of times. It just really gets me that you've seen that Ted, right? No, I don't think I have. I'll link to it. I don't think I have. I'll definitely watch That's it. Like 20 million views. It was her sort of debut of her theories and people who are wholehearted and who believe that they're worth love and belonging. Yes. That they deserve love and belonging. And then those who struggle for it. And I definitely have struggled for it. And so believing that I'm enough yeah, you know, and that everything will be okay because I am enough. Right. Would have been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And is there so- anything that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Yes. I want to use this opportunity to just put it out into the universe that I would love to talk to somebody in transportation about all this infrastructure stuff that is like pending whether it's Pete Buttigieg, Kara Swisher, who's a tech reporter, somebody from big uh, transportation company, I would love to talk to them about what transportation could look like, what infrastructure could look like, because I have a pretty interesting, compelling idea that's reimagining rail transport instead of it being on land, but on the rising water. Yeah, interesting. that's all I'll say. So if anybody is compelled by that idea and wants to talk I think instead of trying to fix the things that we have, we could build new things that improve and respond uh-huh. to what's coming. Or if anybody, you know, through, what is it, 12 degrees of separation, five degrees of separation, knows anybody who knows anybody who knows any of these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never know. You never know. You never know. You never know. It's true. I mean, I've got like a narrative, like I've got a screenplay that I've written in my head that I, you know can't seem to get onto the pages out through my fingers that I thought, well, if I write this and becomes a movie, then people will see this idea and then the idea will become something we could make. I think it's, that's going to take too long. <laughs> I'd rather just give this idea to somebody who could make it happen, like in the next investment cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Or you write up a proposal and you, you start sending it out to these people. When I was TV producer, I unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, had the experience of every idea that I had and I produced and I put on television was stolen. And at first I got really upset and I was young. I was in my 20s and I was like, Aah. and then I realized this is like really a huge, what's it's that market word? market validation that it's yeah. stolen. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It's, wow. They really thought that this was such a good idea. They stole it. That's cool. Yeah. You didn't have to in a way, which is a gift, but it is hard to not be recognized for your authorship and given, I think attribution is really important and somebody's going to take it. They need to attribute it to the the source. Yeah. No. Yeah. But unfortunately that doesn't always happen, but at least then the idea is still out there. And for your idea, if you don't mind if it's stolen, you could, because you want your idea out there. That's the important part. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The world is so weird. It's crazy, but I can't wait to see where you're going to go. And when you get out of the muck, what you're, (laughs) when you get past this larva mucky stage and you're a butterfly, where you're going to fly to. And then there's still, you know, a lot to be said for being here now. Yeah. And being present. Yeah. I would say one thing in the dream category is that I'm thinking about is creating some kind of artist residency with other artists or finding a place that could happen so that either a weirdo kid like me could be seen, right, and supported, or maybe somebody in this middle chapter that we're in realizes like there's a part two or part three or a part four of their life that... Mm-hmm. It's not just throwing the towel time. Mm-hmm. 
we're in the we're in the afterlife. This is yeah. after that life. We're starting this other life. Yeah. Next chapters. And yeah, and it doesn't books. mean it's not valid. It doesn't mean we're done. Yeah. Yeah, I've been using the word retiring just because people understand that. It's such a weird word. But I'm not retiring. I'm still gonna be. I'm still gonna be doing acupuncture. I'm just not gonna be doing it in in that building. Yeah. But people, yeah, it's it is a weird word. It sounds like a deflating, like a tire, like the actual tire, like you're putting a new tire on, or it's yeah. No, it just. Ugh. I have to look up what that word really means. Yeah, it's it's not a positive word. Rebranding opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was on one of the clubhouse rooms for van lifers the other day, and it was an interesting room. They were asking about creative venues in your van. And I went on and mentioned ceramics. And I said, I was looking up because you and I were, well, you're going to the same class in the same area that I was, that I had attended. And, and I have a bunch of greenware. It's up in my closet right now. And I actually have one thing that I made for you. And it's been there for, I don't know, nine months and it's greenware. And I was like, well, how do I get it bisqued? And so I reached out to that studio and I said, Hey, I've got like, you know, 15 pieces, not you know, 10 pieces. And they said, Oh yeah, you can, you, know, you can join and do open studio and it's $200 a month, but it's a minimum two months. And I was like, fuck you. I'm not going to pay $400 to bisque 10 P. And I got really mad. Mm. And then I found another place in Berkeley that's way cheaper. But I looked up in Texas and I saw that for the class that we were taking that you're taking right now is five weeks for $400. The same exact class, obviously not the same teacher, is $150. And the studio time is $20 a month or whatever. And I'm like, God damn it. So I thought maybe I could, cause I'm going to go to different trapeze studios and take trapeze classes all over the U S and I've done that before in, in places I've visited, but I thought maybe I could go to ceramic studios yeah, and check those out too. Yeah. And then they were like, Oh, and you could sell. And it's not my goal to sell things, but that's what the room was about. Oh, you could sell things or whatever. But one of the, one of the people proposed Somebody buying land, because a lot of the van lifers talk about buying land mm-hmm. and having either having it available for people to park or for whatever, building a straw bale house or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and having it for artists. Mm-hmm. And so it's like what you were talking about, like an artist community, but people come and go. Yeah. And I just love that idea. Yeah. 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 I like the idea of cooperative spaces, whether it's ceramics or... Even like the whole knitting thing, having that was something I thought about doing in Fairfax was creating like a co-op where every kind of tool, because you can buy so much equipment and tools and spinning wheels and yarn ballers and swifts and all the different needles and all the different notions. And if you could just pay a membership, like a tool library, need a lawnmower and a screwdriver and a skill saw. But if you can just go and check it out when you need it Uh and then return it. I think that model, this, the, the co-op membership shared model will reduce stuff, garages. Yes. And then people can just, yeah, wasn't there like a- I love that. T42. <laughs> was that you? No, it was your Siri. What? Yeah. I don't have Siri turned on. That was really weird. Yeah, that's scary because Big Brother's listening. I don't like it when technology decides on its own. I, I had an echo and yeah. in the middle of the night, it was like, ordering toilet paper at blah, 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 price. Confirm. And I was like, no, unplugged it. I was like, I'm done with this shit. Yeah. That's crazy. I have one. And if I talk about something in the living room, I get an ad for it. So weird. I talked about something the other day and I had an ad for it like an hour later. Yeah. But what were you saying about the co-op and the checking out? Oh yeah. I just, I think that model and different versions of that. And I think there was one that was like, it was a shop where you could go and use saws and it like a wood shop or a tool shop or a machine shop, even like repair cafes. You've heard of mm-hmm. those where usually people who know how to weld or solder sisters will take old radios or a blender. It was big in the UK. Aww. People would bring all their old things that are broken and then they would learn how to repair them together. I love that. Right? I love that. Yeah. And you build community. You learn how to take care of your stuff. You're not adding to the landfill. Just all those different values that are so important that yeah. it's weird that we have to learn how to do these things. 
all over. Yeah. Yeah. It's an opportunity to like reduce stuff, take care of stuff that we have, connect to the people, share generational skills, find those old science, those nerdy science teachers that are like, oh, we get to (laughs) use solder kits again. (laughs) Totally. I love that. Oh, thank you. I really appreciated you coming on here, even though you wanted to cancel every hour for the last week. Oh, yeah. I love that. That made me laugh. I think that's part of the make everything look good. It's does it look good? Is it appealing? And then the fear of being seen. It's like that deep desire to be seen. And yet the fear of like the implications of that is, is hard. Yep. It's hard to reconcile. And that's that in-between thing. It's if I don't tell my truth, nobody's going to see me and then right. they don't matter. So like, how do you work through that discomfort and find that right, that right size for your, who you are? And the thing that we learned early on in recovery, which is other people may have an opinion about us or think whatever they want to think, but what that person thinks about me is none of my business. And I love that saying, and I use it all the time. And I actually, it's so weird. I actually am at the point where I don't care what other people think anymore. Yeah. I just don't care. That's their problem. Yeah. Or not their problem. It's their, their choice. Yeah. It's also interesting on a more subtler way to realize like those relationships that you keep grasping for that there's nothing. And then you finally realize, what are you grasping for? This person has no interest in participating with me. What am I trying to get? And then when you let go, it just feels so liberating, but it's also, whoa, why did I grasp for so long? Yeah. Yeah. The people who do get you and want to see you show up in that space. Yes. And I find that for me personally, the grasping comes with family. Mm -hmm. So I'm always either trying to please them or I want to, I want them to support me in what I'm doing or understand me and they never will. And I, come on, I'm going to be 55 years old in a month and it's, they don't have to, that's okay. It doesn't mean they don't love me in their way Yeah, because I know they do. Yeah. So yeah, life is weird. <laughs> it is totally weird. I had an astrologer, a Vedic astrologer. I had him check the karma of one of my siblings and they had a lot of oppositional karma in their chart. Mm. And so that added this level of stress and this level of, so it, it, it underscored what I've told myself, which is it's about them, not about me. Mm-hmm. And it was just interesting to see, like, even a Vedic astrologer could see that there was like opposition in that person's chart that no matter who you were in relation to them, yeah. you would find that resistance to connection. See, that's helpful. That it was helpful. It was, yeah, just yeah. another piece of the puzzle. <laughs> it doesn't make me want that person to love me and see me the way that I see them or have want the connection that I imagine that we could have. It is what it is. And I just have to let that go. And that's like, goes back to the first step. I'm working my steps again. And one of the questions that I just came up with was I'm powerless. How is that bleeding into your life right now? And I'm working it on relationships and I'm like, well, I'm powerless over people. Yeah. And I just have to keep reminding myself that. In ACA, there's realizing the difference between powerless and helpless Mm. and helplessness. And the helplessness part is something we can do something about. The powerlessness yeah. is, okay, I get that. That is beyond me. Yes. They're different. They have a different type of agency involved in them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So. And as soon as I'm done with my steps again, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this. I wasn't ready for ACA. It was just too much. I just couldn't handle it but I do want to do it. And I got this really cool meditation from this woman that is positive affirmations for reparenting your inner child. Mm. And you listen to it while you're sleeping and it's phenomenal. I just emailed her. I was like, what did you do? This is so good. Wow. Yeah. So it's helping. Cool. Yeah. And I don't have to do the work. Can you hear Jake? He's like howling and screaming and it's very dramatic. He wants to be with you. I know all the time. He wants to have the option to be with you. Mommy. (laughs) Oh, I love you. Thank you so much, sweetie. Thank you for like feeling into the uncomfortable place and doing this anyway, because I think Mm -hmm. that what you have to say is so important and so valid. Whenever we talk, we have these amazing philosophical conversations, which to me are really important. Thank you. I'm proud of you for your taking the leap and doing this podcast. I had the fantasy of doing my own podcast. And, and you can. Yeah, uh, just, I'm not like the whole recording, editing, 
thing. I just, it feels like too many hills to climb, but I'm just not. Or you can do it without editing. I know a lot of people who do that. I'm just a perfectionist. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Or you try it. And if you don't like it, and I don't even know if I'm going to stick with it. I'm surprised that I've stuck with it for this long. Yeah. It's growing though. Your worship, yeah. your listenership. Yeah. It's growing, but very slowly, but I, that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just so grateful. I was talking to this other podcaster. She's a van lifer and you can hire her for like little mini sessions. And she's been really amazing. And we were talking about it the other day about how, even if I just reach one person, like when you're a teacher, even if you just reach one person, that's enough. True. That's all that matters yeah. because that one person is a ripple effect to all the, the people mm-hmm. that they know True. and not to listen to the podcast, but just to have some goodness in their life that then they go out and they give other people goodness. I just want to give value and I want to give back to the community and I want to give back and blah, blah, blah. I'm glad you came on the podcast and said it. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe, leave a five-star rating or review, or share it with a friend who would find value from this episode. You can find more information about AUA at anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes here under the podcast and on the website. The show notes include links to everything that's been discussed here today, plus shortened transcripts for some guests, their bios, and photo. My main goal is to encourage you to achieve your dreams. So if you have any questions, please DM me on Instagram at anunknownadventure. And whether you do or you don't, following me there would be amazing. Remember to keep dreaming big because your adventure awaits and I would love to hear about it. Thanks so much and have a great day.